everyone, welcome back to Dad Space. You know the podcast for dads by dads. And on my screen today, a great way to start my day, another dad who has a very large family. Uh, he's doubled my my numbers and I'm excited to have him on the show. Uh, Kyle, welcome to Dad Space. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited to talk to you today. Now, to me, you look very familiar, and that's because we just talked yesterday on Living the Next Chapter, and we talked about one of your books and your story. That's an amazing conversation, and uh, I just felt like I walked away from that conversation with some new insight, some uh, new direction for myself, and a new appreciation for your story. So I appreciate everyone to go listen to that episode over on Living the Next Chapter as it comes out. And... uh, it's just great to see you again, Kyle, and, and continue the conversation. This is going to be fun, Dave. Awesome. So you have six kids. I have three. So you you win. You you beat me. Uh, uh, it's a great. Tell me the ages of your kids currently. Where, where are they at? So currently, my sons. I have five sons and one daughter. Good. Uh, they start. They're as old as my oldest is twenty nine, married. My second oldest is twenty seven and married. I have my two middle sons that are on the autism spectrum that are 24 and 21. And then I have 15-year-old twins. And my twins, one of them is a girl. Nice. So all the rest are boys. Yeah. It's okay. You got to let's talk about, I like father-daughter stories. Uh, how exciting, excited were, were you guys when you found out you're having a girl? Well, that's the only reason we have six kids is because my wife always, my wife was the picture of a Southern belle. A feminine, uh, quiet, just a type of lady that beautified the world, right? And she was going to pass that down to a daughter. So when we had our first son, you know, exciting. Second son, exciting. Then we were trying for a girl, right? If we'd had a girl uh, at our third at our third try, we probably would have stopped. But we had we ended up having four boys, and at that point, my wife said. I think that's enough. Well, maybe I'm just meant to be the mother of boys. And so we stopped having kids for six years. And uh, six years later, after my fourth son was born, my wife approached me with tears in her eyes. And she said, you know what? I think there's a daughter that we need, we need to have a daughter. And I think she's waiting to come to us. Wow. Right. And she, but my wife and I, have always talked about these, you know, it's a big decision and it's not something you take lightly, right? Kids are, that's, it's big. And so she, and I knew immediately when she came to me with tears in her eyes, I knew immediately that that was going to happen. I mean, I was not going to fight with her about it. I wasn't going to say we're done, but I did, I did take some time and consider it and, you know, take it to God and all the different things you do in these types of circumstances. And we felt really good about it. So when she got pregnant, um, we were pretty excited. You know, my thought process at the time was if this is another boy, she's going to kill me. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I was at work one day and she called me and she said, Hey, I'm, I'm headed over for a sonogram. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you need to be with me. And when she said that, when my wife had those feelings and she didn't do it all the time, she didn't overuse those things. So it meant something pretty significant. Right. So I got a little nervous and uh, she came by and grabbed me. We went to the sonogram. And, and as the doctor started, you know, doing the deal, uh, the doctor said, uh, there's two babies in here. And I said, you know what? That's really not very funny. We have four kids at home. And, and I said, 
she said, this, this isn't something we kid about. We, we don't kid about this kind of stuff. You've got twins in here. And so shortly after we, we found out one of them was a girl. So it was pretty, you know, we got a, we, we call our son, our fifth son, the throw-in son, right? He was the throw-in baby. But, I, you know, once your kids arrive and you have them, you really don't know what you would do without them, right? My, my fifth son is 15 now, and he's six foot five, about 200 pounds of just giant awesomeness. He's, he's a big, strong, you know, as a sophomore in high school, he's playing varsity football and basketball, but he's, but he's the sweetest kid ever. He has a perpetual smile on his face. Right. Yeah. But certainly my daughter changed our family dramatically because of the femininity that she brought in my wife. I got a, you know, before the passing of my wife, I got a chance to watch my wife, how she treated my daughter, right? And the way that relationship grew and the things that that she did with my daughter that really changed. And I got to see my wife, her full-blown femininity, really flourish as she raised my daughter. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, we talk about you, the fact that you've lost your wife and uh, we definitely talked about that a lot on living the next chapter, and that was a great, a great talk through through that story, that part of your story. Do you see in your daughter elements of your your wife as she just carries oh, herself and everything? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, my wife being raised with four, with five brothers, she's a tough little girl, right? Wow. I mean, she plays basketball and she's she's really active and gets around, but she also she also has maintained and, you know, she was 13 when my wife passed away old enough and her relationship with, with my wife was just beautiful. Right. It was, a, you know, I've always heard that boys are harder when they're younger and easier when they get older. Yeah. Cause when they're younger, they're just wild animals. They're feral. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. That's what yeah. boys are. Yeah. And then they start to level out and as they become men, they get a little bit more stable and they're a little easier to manage. And I've seen that in, in our lives. But I also heard that little girls were easier when they were little, but harder once they hit the teen years, right? Because they go through all these different different things. And I was really nervous about that as my wife. I kept asking my wife, when is my daughter, her name is Chloe, when is Chloe going to start, start not liking me? Right? Because I had heard that at a certain age, girls just get a little tricky mm-hmm. and they really get emotional and, and you know, all those things. And, and, my wife said, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not projecting that will happen. And my wife said, because my wife, when uh, growing up, I grew up in a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, chaotic atmosphere. And I grew up in kind of inner city Dallas in, in kind of a, a neighborhood that was tough. We didn't have a lot of money. So there was a lot of stress. And I grew up in that atmosphere with a mom who, and, you know, I'm, my generation, moms would whoop you pretty good, yeah. you know. Yeah. And my mom didn't wait for dad to come home to whip you, yeah. right? She would find a belt or a shoe or a extension cord. And I went to school one day. I'm not kidding. I backtalked my mom, and she there was a flash water, and she swatted me on the face. And I went to school with a flash water print on my face one day, right? And this was – I don't think this was that abnormal, Right. So when I started looking for a wife, I really wanted somebody who was just level. I didn't, I didn't want the ups and downs. I wanted a really 
And my wife was that way. She was very in control of her emotions. She had them and she used them when they mattered, but she also managed her emotions really, really well. And so she passed that along to my daughter. And as my daughter hit those teen years, I just kept waiting to be outcast, you know? Yeah. And it never really happened. And to this day, uh, my daughter and I have a beautiful relationship. And I'm sure it's because my wife really walked her through and, and prepped her and really focused in on those things with her when she went through that that period of time. She's 15 now. Nice. And yeah, a great relationship with my daughter. So, but yeah, she has changed and, and I'm so grateful for her because it, it, it changed me as well. Right. When you're raising boys, you know, rub dirt on it, get back out there. It's kind of the <clears throat> approach, you know? Yeah. And I remember multiple times my wife would say, you can't do that with Chloe. I need you to be gentle like you are with me. She yeah. would say, treat her like she's a little mini me. Yeah. And be gentle and kind and talk sweet. Right. And my wife was always on me about that. So she kind of built me, built me that way because I wanted to make my wife happy. Right. And I wanted to, and thank goodness for that. So. I, I love a good father daughter story. <clears throat> that really, that means a lot to me to hear that. Because I, I remember too, like my, my daughter's now in her twenties and uh, I can remember being little and climbing up on me when she's small and falling asleep on my chest and carried her to bed and stuff. And, all the way into high school, she would still kind of jump onto my chair and snuggle in with me. And and then I can remember when that stopped and when she was just that much older that it wasn't cool to do that anymore. And we had our last snuggle moment like that as she kind of transitioned away from that as an adult, as an adult now. And sure. it's just like, I, yeah, I can't imagine you doing that when you're in your 30s. That makes no sense. But right. for me as a dad, that was a, a, a time of mourning that 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 moment we would have on a regular basis and just knowing that they grow up that's the downside of having kids these small little humans grow up and you want to see them do their thing and go and do life but you miss those moments that you wish you could take back right yeah and i think it's uh, you made a great point there i think it's important for all those dads who have young kids you know sometimes you can get so caught up in the chaos of raising those kids that you don't recognize the the little pieces of beauty that are that are filtered throughout those those moments, right? Yeah. Until it's too late, you know. You don't. You know, with six kids, by the time I had my twins born, you know, I had teenage boys at the same time. Wow. And so I, I had already. You know, it's it's almost like raising a second set of kids. Yeah. You know, because my wife had gotten to a point where all the kids were in school, and she was, you know could do what she wanted during the day. And, and then we start over right with these with brand new kids. But it, it also made me realize too, that to really cherish the, you know, when they're little bitty, it's tough, but there's also moments, like you said, where they're, they're sitting in your lap, loving on you, sucking their thumb. And, and, and you almost need to celebrate somehow those sweet moments, right? Because, the stress and the strain and the financial and the relationships and all those things can put a, a rough, right? There's weight associated with that for us men. It's a, it's a heavy load yeah. to be responsible for all that. Right. And so anytime we can take to, to celebrate the joy of holding those little ones or, you know, having them fall asleep in your arms, we almost need to 
to really make a checklist and say, okay, I really need to celebrate this moment because I need it to energize me for the next six months of pain and suffering. I got to go through. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. The, yeah. the hardness, right? Yeah. And, and, and I, I was really able to do that with my twins more than I was with my first kids because I didn't really, you know, I had that. I didn't really understand that like I did mm-hmm. with my twins. So I'm, I'm grateful for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why I love having this podcast because that's the conversations I wish I heard as a young dad from my first and my second and then my third. I, there was no podcast. There was no two men talking like this that I could sit and listen to and go, oh, wait a minute. Those moments that I think are going to last forever, they're not. And I better I better pay attention. So us doing this to benefit the person listening, that's kind of the why, why I wanted to have this conversation. And I think a lot of it for me, it, it, a lot of it is just filling your cup, right? I mean, that, you know, I tell my sons that are, my, my two older sons now are about to start having kids of their own. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about there's a weight, a responsibility. There's weight associated with, you know, providing for and loving and, and trying to raise these kids. And that weight can be heavy. Right. And, you know, you talked about it. Women celebrate new kids and they 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 tend to celebrate each other on Mother's Day. And there's a lot of different ways they celebrate themselves. Right. And I know. Mm-hmm. And they probably need it because they're with the kids a lot more than we are there, the nurturers generally. Yeah. But, you know, it's really, and you know, you talked about there's not a lot of stuff for, before we started, you talked about there's not a lot of stuff for us, yeah. right? There's Mother's Day. There's, you know, we celebrate them on birthdays. Valentine's are about the women, right? Yeah. I mean, all these, they have baby showers. They have, right? All this stuff is about the women. And there's not a lot for us. And I really think, it's really kind of up to us to celebrate ourselves sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, my wife for all her wonderful attributes, she was not a cheerleader type. Mm. And so she didn't cheer me on when I had success, right. When I had financial or if I was a good dad, I didn't really hear her that from her because that's not who she was. Right. And that's okay. So I think, I became my own biggest cheerleader, right? I had to really look for and find moments where I thought, you know what? I did an okay job there as a dad, or I'm really trying as a husband. And I think I, I did okay there, or I'm really putting forth the effort and, and I needed to cheer myself as men. We we need to take time to say, you know what? It's the fact that we're at home and we're taking care of these families and providing and, and working that yeah. needs to be celebrated in yeah. itself, right? Nobody else is going to celebrate it for us. We almost have to step back and say, I, I really need to accept that what I'm doing is is valiant and it has power for a future. Right. And so it's yeah. it's important for us to just even the even what may seem common, you know, yeah, we should celebrate ourselves whenever we have an opportunity. Now, if your wife celebrates you when you do those things, fantastic, man. That's fantastic. That's I, I'm so excited for you. That's great. Yeah. But my wife is now gone. If she yeah. celebrated me. And that's what I looked for to be celebrated. I'd be in trouble right now. Yeah. I'd be in real trouble, right? right? And so, uh, you know, that that is one thing that I think as men, it's up to us to celebrate us. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna go golfing with a buddy and him tell us how great of a dad we are. That's not how we work. Mm-hmm. We have to do the right things and do them for the right reason, and accept those things as our responsibilities and say that I should celebrate that. In myself, yeah. right? Yeah. Let that fill me up. 
right? Any Anytime you do what's right for the right reasons, you should celebrate that. You should let it fill you up. And I think that's, an, I, I'm, I'm, it's a lesson my dad taught me years and years ago is nobody's, dude, nobody's going to put you on a pedestal. Nobody. And if they do, they can't, other guys can't wait to tear you down. Right. <laughs> so yeah. he said, you've got to be your own biggest cheerleader in this world. And that all starts with the way you talk to yourself in your mind, right? And your yeah. effort. And I think a lot of it is just effort. Yeah. If you're putting forth as much effort as you can, or you're giving it a good effort, you should celebrate yourself no matter what the results are. Yeah. So I like it. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need a little bit of celebration and some cheerleading, uh, Kyle and I are here. We're cheering you on. There you you're go. going to be a great dad. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to make more successes coming to you than, than failure. So keep moving forward. Love your kids. Love your partner. And show up. That's the biggest thing. Just show up. Be there. That's the part of it. The one thing that I want to talk about today on the podcast uh, you're rewriting a book that you wrote years ago um, all around your journey with your kids and and your journey with autism. And I've had the privilege and honor of having a few dads on to talk about this subject in the past. And I have uh, someone in my family that has uh, a daughter with autism. And as an uncle, I want to be the best uncle ever in this situation and I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. So having a conversation with you helps me directly in my family. So that's selfishly the reason why I have questions for you. But tell us a little bit about your journey with your, your kids in autism and some of the things that you're kind of working through right now today that maybe we can have a little conversation around to help other dads like us. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So I'll try to tie it in a nutshell. So that I can give you, I, I want. I don't want to focus on things that you may not necessarily need to know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my long story and squeeze it down into a bite-sized chunk. So uh, when we had our first two sons, my oldest two sons, typical boys, things were going pretty well, right? I mean, we knew they were feral, they're boys. Yeah. But my wife and I worked together, and we were creating a pretty happy life, right? We were. I'm not the kind to sit back and let life beat me up. So I was always proactive in my approach to raise my sons. And, and I felt like, uh, and she was right by my side, right? But we were working together for those things. But when my th third son came along, um, he was out of freaking control, right? He would, I mean, the kid before he was four years old, if he got, if he couldn't find a Lego piece, he would pick up a brick and throw it at you. Right. There was no limits to the, what he would do and wouldn't do. And the stress that it was creating in our home was overwhelming. And it started to, you know, I think when things go wrong, we look for somebody to blame. Yeah. And when our kids are acting crazy, you know, it, it was easy to default to what are you doing to my wife? And she's like, you're not supporting me. And, you know, it, it becomes easy for that to become a, a barrier between us. Yeah. And uh, it was that's what it was happening. You know, we were like everything we tried with our two typical boys was not working with him. He was his own unique individual. He was going to get what he wanted. He was out of control. He would have these tremendous meltdowns where he would smash things. He would attack us. You know, at, at three and four years old, and we did we we didn't know what was going on. And, and keep in mind, this is you know almost twenty years ago, about twenty years ago. And back then, autism isn't like it is now, right? Back then, if somebody said the word autism, all people knew was a 
maybe a little boy sitting in a wheelchair, you know, flapping his arms, right? Yeah. yeah. That was what you considered to be autism. So in in an effort to get help, you know, we took him uh we took him to a couple of places and at one point somebody came to us and said, "You know, have you considered having him di- diagnosed to see if he's on the autism spectrum?" And we were shocked. Right? We're like he's not a, he's not sitting in a wheelchair flapping his arms. That's not yeah. who he is, right? Yeah. And they they described to us that it is a spectrum. And so we thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe he is. And if he is, we can get him the help he needs to, to get our family back, right? Right, yeah. So we had him diagnosed on the spectrum. And I remember my wife and I looked at each other and thought we were relieved, right? Because we thought, oh, we haven't completely forgotten how to be parents. He yeah. just has unique needs, right? Interesting. So now that we have the diagnosis, yeah. we can get back our life. And so we put him in all these therapies and specialists and experts and I mean, we spent thousands of dollars and, and hours and weeks and months and years. And although they helped him in certain areas, they still didn't change the way he behaved at home. Right. And I see this in a lot of families, especially those kids that are more severe or have limited cognitive abilities like my son. He was still, you know, uh, melting down and smashing things. And, you know, now he's he's six, seven years old, still in diapers and you know, we're so the stress is overwhelming. And I remember I remember working long hours because it was easier to be at work than it was to be at home with my chaos. Right. And I and I realized one day I was driving home and and uh and as right before I was about to leave work, my wife called me. She said, I can't take it anymore. Things the the house is it's going crazy. And and I got it. I get it. Right. Because there was his meltdowns could be tremendous. Right. And scary and violent. And he might have rage or attack his brothers, whatever, whatever. There was a lot of things going on. Yeah. You know, the far end that you hear about the really tough stuff, the self-harm, banging his head against walls, all those things we experienced. And so she called me and she was in a uh, she was in peril. Yeah. And so as I'm driving home, I'm upset. You know, can't why can't I just I'm tired, too. Why can't I just go home to a normal family, right? Yeah. And, and you know, when I roll up, I see her peeking through the window. Like, she's counting down the minutes. You know, she knows exactly how long it takes to get home. <laughs> and there better yeah. not be traffic, right? Because yeah. I need him, you know, because she was just in peril. And, and I remember it, this got to be the norm, right? And I remember thinking, you know, we got more, it got more and more stressful until we, we came to a tipping point in our family. And I'll never forget one morning. It was probably six thirty in the morning. We were living in a little town just outside of Dallas called uh, Red Oak, Texas, in a little like a little suburb. And um, one one morning at six thirty a.m., our whole house was awakened by him screaming, a blood curdling scream, right? And he had fallen into a meltdown. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what had happened. But the whole family's woken up. Uh, my two oldest sons lock themselves in their room because they know it's dangerous and trouble. And usually a meltdown can last anywhere from, you know, 15 minutes to maybe 90 minutes at the most, like an hour and a half at the most before we could calm him down. Well, this one lasted four hours. Wow. Right. Every time we would start to get him calmed down, he would ramp back up. We didn't know he was nonverbal, so we didn't know what it was he was looking for or needed. He couldn't communicate to us. By the time it was over, he had uh, smashed his head through a a window in our home, had thrown, uh, we had this 
paperweight, which we got rid of those pretty quickly, a big glass paperweight that he's thrown at me and hit me. And I think I probably had a concussion by the time it was over with, right? Yeah. And by the time we finally got him calmed back down after four hours, the stress in our home, it was almost like a hurricane was hitting our home during an earthquake while the house was on fire. You know, that's the yeah. kind of stress we were under, you know. And and when we finally got him calmed down, my wife and I were so stressed out that we we kind of turned on each other, hmm. you know, and and she started. And remember, my wife was this beautiful, feminine, sweet woman. Yeah. Well, she displayed a different side in this case, right? She'd yeah. had it. Yeah. She wasn't going to live this life anymore. And she she turned on me and she said, well, if you would have done this, then maybe he would have calmed down. If you'd shown more love and less discipline. And I said, well, if you weren't so easy on him and give him everything, right? So we just started. Yeah. And, and obviously, neither of us were right, right? But, I, but like I said, I think when things go horribly wrong, you tend to turn on somebody, right? You want somebody to blame and, and each of us was the easiest one to blame. Yeah. And so this was a, this was a, a fight that was lo- a long time coming. Right. And I remember after a while, I realized it wasn't stopping. She wasn't backing down. I wasn't backing down. And I walked out on my front porch. I grabbed my keys and stuck them in my pocket and walked out on my front porch thinking enraged, you know, internally I was enraged. And I thought this, I can't live like this. I, I, this is not the life I signed up for. Everything I've tried isn't working. We've spent thousands, thousands of dollars and years trying to fix this crap, and it's not going away. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in my car and I'm gonna leave, and I'm never coming back. Wow. And I thought, and I would that crossed my mind, right? And I, that's how bad it was. And I think she would have been happy if I would have left. That's how damaged our relationship was in that moment and wow. and it had grown to that right yeah and i'm standing on the front porch and a memory popped into my mind right then of when i was about 11 or 12 years old i was playing baseball and we needed one out to win the game and we were i was on defense and the ball was hit to me and i made an error right and the and the kid got on base and the next kid got a hit and the next kid and, and we were winning until all this happened. And then we ended up losing the game and it was my fault, right? Because I made that error. That's how I felt. And I walked over to my dad and I was distraught. You know, when you're 11 years old and, and you're, it's your fault, you lose. Uh, it's the end of the world, right? And I, and I went over to my dad and I said, you know what? I wish the ball hadn't been hit to me because then we could have won. And I think my dad just in that moment knew exactly what to say because he got down on one day and I remember him looking in my face and he said, you know what, Kyle, that's not the way we do things in this life. He said, you never want to pass the success or failure of your life in any area over to somebody else. Mm -hmm. He said, you want, don't you ever go down without the biggest fight. If it's important, Don't you ever pass that off. You take responsibility. You want every ball, every game hit to you. You want to take every shot of every, every last shot of every game you ever play in. He said, you're not always going to, you're not always going to win, but don't you ever go down without the biggest fight you can give. Mm. Right. And that memory just hit me right between my eyes. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what else to do. Right. I mean, I've tried everything. There's nothing else I can do. Well, in that moment, uh, uh, we had a big pecan tree in our front yard. 
And I remember doing something else my dad had taught me to do. When you have no one else to turn to, he said, turn to God, right? Get help. Yeah. If no, So I remember going over and, and kneeling under this tree, this big pecan tree, and praying to God. You know, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember saying, I'm not leaving. Help me. Yeah. I need help. I've tried everything the experts and the therapists and all these people in the autism world have told me to do. It hasn't worked. I need help. I don't know what to do. And I remember feeling like God said to me in that moment, you know, sometimes you look back and you go, was it God? Was it me? I don't really know, but it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. And I remember feeling like God said to me, the problem is not your wife and the problem is not your kids. The problem is you lead your family to happiness. Figure it out. Don't quit. Figure it out. You can do it. Right. And I remember how powerful that was for me. At the time, I wanted to fight with God, right? It's not me. It's them. It's everything else, right? It's, it's out of my control. But I just kept getting this feeling like you've got to manage yourself. You've got to really manage this in a way, no matter what happens, that can help lower stress for your wife, your kids, your family. Hmm. And, I, and I remember in that moment committing right then, you know what? I'm never giving up. I'm never leaving. And I don't care if I die trying. I will die trying. Even if I die and I don't succeed, I'm never going to stop trying to lower the stress, to make sure my wife knows I love her, to make sure my kids know I love them. And I i don't care. I'm going to dive in. And everything I do on my spare time is going to be that. I'm, this is my, this is, and in that moment, I, I, I labeled myself the driven autism dad, right? I'm going to be driven to figure this out. And I remember walking in to my wife and she's still angry, right? I had had a really transformation change, but she was still mad. Yeah. And I said, you know what, Shelly, I'm not leaving and I'm going to figure this out. I don't care. I'm not leaving. I'm going to figure this out. She said, good luck. Hmm. That's what she told me that moment, right? I thought she was going to hug me and love on me. No, just the opposite. And I realized in that moment, because I hadn't, really taking responsibility for leading and being fully present and fully there and really working, right? I don't think our wives expect expect, expect perfection. They just expect us to work at it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I knew in that moment that I had to regain her trust, right? She had lost faith in me as, as the leader of our family and as a husband and as a father. And I thought, you know what? I got to regain trust. And that, in, in that moment, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to research. I'm going to, how do you regain trust? What do you do? How does it work? And, and that became my, really my goal. It was just to, to be present, to come home as quick as I could every day, to take over, to give her a break, right? To really accept our lives for what they were and change the way I managed myself in those moments, right? Change the way I managed my wife, the way I loved her, the way I loved them. And it really, that, gave me really the the direction I needed to ch to dramatically change and transform our family into what we became, which, you know, my, my kids and I talk about having a top 1% happy family. You know, we don't get together because we have to. My kids, my, my kids that are married and moved away, come back at least once a week. We're all here having a great time, having fun. And my son, older son still has meltdowns. My kids know how to manage it. It doesn't ruin our day. We just, we manage it and we go back to being happy, right? And it also created what I called, and my wife agreed, she said this too, 
a top 1% happy marriage. I devoted myself to her and to the family. And I think just that, that deciding, you know what, I'm the problem. I can't fix anything else. I can't change my wife or my kids or I can't change anything, but I can work on me. And, and so that's what I started doing. And I really dug in and over a period of time, right? It takes time. I regained, regained her trust and she gave me permission again to lead, which mm. I think a lot of men want to lead their family, but you almost have to gain enough trust with your wife for them to give you permission to lead. Otherwise it's, a, it's combative. Right. Mm. And so maybe some men don't want to lead and that's okay too. I wanted to lead, right? I wanted to be, and, and she wanted me to lead. She's very traditional feminine, right? She wanted yeah. she wanted me to lead the family in that direction. And I wasn't, I was, I was failing. And so it took, it took that event as a tipping point. And I wonder sometimes with a lot of men, you know, I hit, I hit the wall, right? Not everybody hits the wall. I'm so grateful now that I hit the wall because otherwise I don't know that, that I would have changed had I not been just punched right square in the face with that, you know, because I think too often we, we tend to coast you know, and it's easy to coast, right? Yeah. I'm a man. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. I'm bringing money home. I tell my wife I love her. You know, the kids, I, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, it, 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 you can coast through being a dad. You really can. And I'm not, and, and if you can do that and get away with it, good. I'm I, good for you. I yeah. couldn't. Right? Yeah. I just, yeah. in my situation, I absolutely couldn't. I couldn't do that. So. Hmm. Okay. That's the great back background i love this i have some specific autism questions perfect that i can apply to my family um in my situation no my my niece is is not nonverbal but i don't i as somebody who doesn't understand i'm completely ignorant to this so i'm coming to you and i hope i'm asking it in a proper way but for 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 an adult to to parent a nonverbal child how how do you even do that i don't i don't without that back and forth communication uh through life i don't even know how you how you do that like i think of discipline i think of love i think of all of the things that come into being a parent with young children you need to hear back from them so that you can communicate how do you communicate as a dad with a nonverbal child, how do you do that? You know, it's, uh, you do it the same way. And just because, you know, what do they say? 70% of communication is, is not verbal anyway. It's body language. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, it's really the same way that the challenge that I see with a lot of parents that have kids on the spectrum is they don't want to discipline autism. Right. Yes. Right. But so they, and they don't know sometimes if bad behavior is autism, right? So they have this challenge, especially when they're nonverbal, right? Yeah. Is is this bad behavior? Is this kid just behaving badly, or is it autism? The 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 challenge with with kids that are especially nonverbal is parents default to autism, right? And and I don't I don't believe in that, hmm. right? Okay. My sons are boys. They they'll they'll do bad behavior if it'll get. I have this theory about kids. My wife taught me this. She said kids are like velociraptors, right? 
Okay, yeah. So what do you mean by that? And if you remember the very first Jurassic Park movie, right? They have all the yeah. dinosaurs they've created. They have the velociraptors in a in a in a pen with electrified fences around the top. And the velociraptors are testing those fences systematically every five minutes, right? Looking for weaknesses. Yep. All the time, every day, forever. Right? And if you remember Jurassic Park, they have to turn off the electricity for 90 seconds. And what happens? The velociraptors escape. They kill everything, take over the island. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She says, kids are like velociraptors. They're going to test the fences to see what they can get away with. And they're supposed to. It's not because they're bad. It's because they're kids. Right. Kids are trying right. to make their way through this world. Yeah. And so they're testing what they can do, what they can't, what they can get away with, what they can't. They're, the consequences, non-consequences, they're testing everything all the time. Right. And what they do, what works. Right. So if a, if a nonverbal child is autistic and you tell him you, you need to get off the iPad and he screams and yells and throws a fit and you give the iPad back, he's just made the connection that worked. That's right. You're right. right. Now, You're a parent right. might say, well, it's autism. Well, here's the key. I don't really care if it's autism or bad behavior. That's my attitude. Okay. If, if I make a request of my son to put away his iPad and he gets overstimulated, melts down. I don't care if it's that or bad behavior, right? I'm still going to apply the consequences, but here's the key is you got to figure out a way to do this in a spirit of love, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not screaming at him to take away the iPad. I'm saying, Hey, listen, I love you, buddy, but there's a time for it. And there's a time not for it. Now's not the time for it. Now he may escalate and scream and yell and threaten to hit me or kill me or kill himself. Now he's trying, right? He's testing the fences. What can he say or do? that gets that iPad back, right? He's, he's testing. And if I say, hey, buddy, I hope you don't, you know, I hope you don't hit me. I don't hit you. Please don't hit me. If I'm calm, cool, and collected, and I, and, I, and I stay consistent, he realizes, oh, that doesn't work. And he stops doing it, and he tries new things, right? Now, if he comes to me and says, you know, in his nonverbal way, you know, 10 more minutes, please, that works, Right? <laughs> And I give him 10 more minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Screaming and yelling, melting down, throwing a fit. That doesn't work and that's bad behavior. But yeah. sometimes the surroundings might overstimulate him too. Yeah. So it might not be bad behavior. It might be autism, but it doesn't really matter, right? We have rules, we have consequences, and we have to apply them. But we can apply them in a spirit of love, even if it is a an autistic thing. We can still give them parameters. We can still create those safety barriers, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And the key to that is this. If we do it in a spirit of love, we can still teach them discipline so that when they grow up, they have discipline. Too many of these kids grow up and they have no discipline. They have no barriers. They'll do anything. They'll try anything. It's because they've learned that. If they ramp up their behaviors, eventually the parents will back down and give them what they want or They'll, they'll yeah. try to change the world for our kids. The world is not changing for our kids, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be flat out honest here, right? If I send my son out into the world and somebody says, oh, well, he's autistic, so he should be able to attack somebody in public. No, they'll mm-hmm. throw his butt in jail, Yeah. right? I discipline him because I love him. Yeah. The world will discipline him a different way. The world will throw his butt in jail and show no love at all. Now, yeah. the key to the whole thing, though, is to do it. And this is really what I learned and how I changed myself, right? How I fixed me was I was was I was doing what worked for my two typical kids. Sometimes, sometimes the threat 
right, would work with them. The threat didn't work with him with my son on the spectrum. Yeah. I had to change it into love and patience and kindness and consistency. And the beautiful thing about that is once I learned to do that with my son on the spectrum, that bled into my other kids. And so I treated them kindly and with patience and with love, even when they did the, the wrong things. There were still consequences, right? Mm. Yeah. But I didn't apply them in an angry, frustrated moment. I said, hey, you know, that's not acceptable in our home. I've got to punish you. Let's talk about how we figure this out, right? With my kids. And they're like, oh, crap, you're right, Dad. Right? And they're still going to try things, right? They're still going to try yeah. them. And what they what works, they keep doing. You know, I had a, a parent come to me recently who has a bunch of kids, little kids, like I did. And his kids are very, very whiny, whining all the time, right? And he says, well, your kid's whiny. And I said, no, they, they weren't whiny. He says, how'd you get them to not be whiny? I said, kids do what works. He said, what? I said, they whine because it works. And he said, holy crap, <laughs> that's me, isn't it? I said, well, a combination of you and your wife, you got to talk about this with your wife and say, if whining bothers us, is does your wife whine? Do you whine? I don't really know. I don't know you guys that well. But your kids do it because it gets them what they want, right? Now, I'm not saying to beat the whining out of them. I'm saying to yeah. love it out. Right. Give them another yeah. option to get what they want. Mm -hmm. That's more acceptable in the real world. Right. Yeah. And that takes thought. It takes a little bit of effort. It takes not being, you know, coasting. Right. It takes you got to you got to think about this stuff. OK, my kids are having this issue. Right. What's the challenge? What's the objective? Remember this? What's the mm -hmm. strategy? Mm -hmm. What are my tactics? Right. Yeah. And, and once you start doing that, you're like and you get together with your wife, by the way, when you do this with your wife, it creates a bond. Yeah. You work together. You create this worksheet together. You work together. And then when, when one of you uses the worksheet and it works, the other one goes, yeah, right. Or you go, yeah. And, it, and it, you, you face these challenges together and you might not always disagree or you might not always agree on how to do it, but that's okay. Yeah. You can always adjust, right? The last part of that cost formula is adjust, adjust, adjust. Maybe your wife says, we got to do this. And you say, fine, let's do it. You do it with her. And if it doesn't work, say, we need to adjust. What else can we try? Right. That's what a good leader does. He doesn't give you the answer to your problems. He helps you figure out the answer to your problems. Right. Through through communication and combinations. Right. So I think I think that's a big part of it is with these kids on the spectrum is how do you raise them? You raise them like you do your regular kids. You're thoughtful. You you approach it with love and kindness and compassion and you're consistent. Right. Because kids will notice any inkling of inconsistency. You know, go ask your mom, go ask your dad. They know who to ask. Mm, right. They know how to play you against each other if you're yeah. not on the same page, right? You know, yeah. right? Yeah. Kids, they do what works, Yeah. right? Kids, they're smart. They got all day to figure us out, <laughs> right? Let's see, dad'll let me do this. Mom won't. I'm going to go ask dad. Yeah. Then mom says, why'd you let him do that? Oh, it's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. Now you got a problem, right? Mm, right. But if you come together and say, hey, these kids are using us against each other, how do we work? <laughs> and it's not because they're bad. It's because they're kids. That's yeah. just they're supposed to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're all supposed to do that. You do what works for you. I do what works for me. When it stops working, guess what we do? Something else. Yeah. So it's a lot of it is just making good things work. For my kids, I think what they'll tell you is it's a whole lot easier to be kind and friendly in our home than it is to be not moody and upset and aggravated because I'm on them. 
when they're that way, I say something's going on. Something's happening. You know, the easiest way for me to tell my kids have done something wrong is when they don't treat me good. I know something's going on. Right. Now, I hope they don't watch this. My 15-year-olds already know it because my older sons have told them, right? Yeah. But I could always tell they did something they shouldn't have because they didn't feel good. They were moody. They were frustrated. They didn't want to be around me, right? I'm like, oh, I see what's happening. So I would, I would get in their face in, in a kind way, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, tell me what's going on. How you doing? Fine. Something's happening, bro. I'm not leaving you. I would just pester them, right? I'm a velociraptor too, Yeah. right? I'm right. going to keep Hey, I'm I'm not leaving. I'm gonna stay close until you let me know how I can help, man. Because you're just not happy, and I want ha- I want to see you happy. Sometimes they would confess, right? Or sometimes they'd say, "I'm I'm struggling with something." Well, tell me what you're struggling with. Let's do a cost. What is the challenge? What's the objective? Mm-hmm. What's the, right? And they and, and they learn these things through that through that that communication, right? Even our kids on the spectrum, they learn through the modeling of it, right? He doesn't really talk to me much, but he's he goes out in public and he can manage himself. Now he can control his emotions, even if he's overstimulated by my son. Now my more severe son can ride his bike to the movie theater, watch a movie, even if the lights and the sounds are overstimulating, and he'll 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 regulate himself because we've worked at that together, right? Or he'll walk out of the theater until the previews are over and then walk back in. Right. And he can regulate himself. He can manage his emotions in those situations because we've modeled it for him. We've helped him to learn that in our home. Right. We don't just remove all the stimuli because the world won't remove the stimuli. Yeah. Right. Right. We 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 have kind of have to face things in our lives. They will, too. We can't protect them from everything. And so a lot of it, a lot of it for us is we have this theory in our family called lean in. When something's hard, lean in. Right. Lean into it, whether it's homework or sports or, you know, my oldest son or my youngest son just twisted his knee in football and he's had to miss a couple of games and it's killing him. Right. Lean in. What's the challenge? I can't play. What's the objective? I want to be ready when I can. I want to I'm going to watch more film. I'm gonna, right. This tactics are all these things you can do hmm. in a certain circumstance. Rehab, double his rehab. Right. Ice his knee every night. Take all these things that he can do are the tactics he's going to do. So that when his time is ready to play again, you know, root his team on, be the biggest cheerleader on the sidelines there ever could be, right? And so a lot of these things, we can always do something, right? The question is, what can we do? Right. And that doing that, the effort in doing that creates, gives us motivation. It, it lifts us. It, it buoys us up during those difficult moments, right? Having a plan. For addressing these things is powerful. And then we model those behaviors for our kids. When we're kind to them in the most stressful moments, when we're patient, when we say, hey, you know, you can take a, my son has, has hit me before. He's taken swings at me. And I say, hey, I don't hit you. Please don't hit me. And it de-escalates him, right? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Something's going on, obviously, or you wouldn't be swinging at me. You know, and he, and it calms him, right? And he sees, oh, this is what men do. Men de-escalate, I'm going to grow into a man. Yeah, good point. This is what men do, right? And they watch me in public. Our kids are watching, man. They don't don't hear you as much as they see you, right? And they will, any hypocrisy in you will be magnified a hundred times in their Mm -hmm. eyes, right? right? Go out and be kind in the world. You tell your kids that and you treat your own wife unkindly. Oh, they are watching. 
they are watching, right? So it's important for us to model that behavior, you know, and 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 that was where really where the world changed for us is when I, I took responsibility. I said, okay, what I'm doing isn't working, right? I can't change my sons. I can't change my wife, but what I'm doing isn't working. I'm going to work at figuring out what does work, get the cost, the cost formula out, challenge, objective, strategy, tactics, yeah. figure out how to manage myself. Right. And once I do that, things started to, to change. And my wife, I'll never forget. You're going to, it's so interesting to me. I remember one night, my wife and I were sitting in bed and we were talking about the kids, which we do right a lot. Well, we would every evening we chat about the week's stuff and, you know, maybe one of the kids that's, that's struggling with something or needs help. And after we chatted for a few minutes, she looked at me and her eyes got kind of teary. And we had been married 20 years. OK. And we had gone through the roughest parts and we were kind of coming out the other side. Things were getting better, you know. And she turned to me and she said, you really love me, don't you? Mm. And I and I thought in my mind, you got to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> We've been married 20 years. We got six kids. I've never done anything to make you feel otherwise. Right. I mean, yeah. I've tr- I, I mean, I, I've you know, and I, and but then I realized in that moment, 20 years later, she knows now. Right. Mm. She absolutely. And I said, of course I do. Right. You're my world. And I and I spent the next few days thinking about her insecurities. 20 years of marriage. She's up until that moment, there were still insecurities in her. And, and it gave me compassion. I didn't know she had those insecurities. I thought she knew, but she knows now, right? Yeah. And I, I think when she passed away, I had a friend call me. I had a lot of friends call me. You know how people come out of yeah. the woodworks to yeah. support you. And, you know, we, we chatted about different things. And then he said, you know what, Kyle, I have to tell you something. You're, she knew how much you loved her. And he said, I, I don't know if my wife knows that. And it's a blessing to you that she knew that. You know, and I know this doesn't help. And it didn't in that moment, but it does now, right? She absolutely, totally, 100% knew. And and he recommitted in that moment. You know, and he, he had been married about the same amount of time as I had, you know, almost 30 years. And he said, I, I need to make sure she knows. And I said, well, that's the challenge, right? What's the objective? To make sure she go. knows, yeah. right? Right. What tactics are you going to apply? And he went to work, right? And it was really cool to watch him and report to me. He's reported back to me that it's changed their relationship, right, for the better. Nice. Because he wanted to make sure she really, really, really knew, not just say it, but deep down in her core, the insecurity was gone, nice. right? I love you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, right? You can't get rid of me. We'll figure it out, you know? So it's just a powerful thing. And I think your kids need to know that too, Right. Mm-hmm. And they have insecurities, right? That a lot of kids think it's a performance-based love, right? And and sometimes it is with some people, right? So it's up to us to model what what that means, what love means, teach them that, so they can take it into their families and and spread that moving forward. I love it, and that's an amazing spot to end, Kyle. Right there, I could talk to you all week. <laughs> we could just record, and I could just sit here and listen and and learn and ask questions because. There's so much wisdom and knowledge coming from your side of the microphone to me. And you're just, there's something about you as a person 
and how you view the world and how you've you're real with the things you've had to learn and you've put in things in place to help you navigate this world in a great way. I love the whole cost structure that we talked to give out even in more detail over on living the next chapter. And um, I, I have so much now to put into practice by having that time with so you. It's, that, that makes me so happy, Dave. I, I appreciate that. And you know, the, the key now is action, right? What are you going to do with it? Way too many of us hear stuff and we go, oh, that's really cool. And then we go back to our lives, right? My, my goal is really to, to get you to take action in some way, shape or form, you know, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. take some little piece of action. And, and I think it's one of, you know, we, yesterday we talked about the seed, how the seed of equivalent value, right? Right. And I think one of the seeds that I'm nurturing is uh, I was talking to a guy recently and, and he's in my, I have a, I coach parents that have kids on the autism spectrum. And he says, how do you know this stuff, right? Because he's going through tri- this this struggle. And I say, here's what I did. Try that. See what happens. And he comes back and reports. And, you know, he has to make adjustments too because every situation is unique, right? I'm not saying I know yeah. the answers. Yeah. I'm saying I can give you a framework yeah. and you can you can adjust it. And he came back to me and, and his life had transformed. And he was just, he, he was a glow. And he said, Kyle, how do you know this stuff? And I said, you know what? When you when you've been to hell and back, you know the way, right? Hmm. And, and I think that might be the seed. I faced some pretty hard things, right? Uh, and I, my buoyancy just—I I want people to know that you can too, and you can face them and and still live in a happy world. That is the seed I want to plant, and that's the seed I want to nurture, right? Yeah. And to hear you say that you've come away with some things you can apply thrills me if if yeah. all if it's just you dave i yeah. win and by the way I'm, I'm cheering myself on inside right now mm-hmm. i'm my own biggest cheerleader right, right. i got dave i yeah. got dave so <laughs> i'm, I'm making a, i'm making a difference right you do you <laughs> are and again we talked about the the impact of a seed and I might give you that quote about the apple seed you can't count yeah. the number of seeds in an apple but you can count you but you can't count the number of apples in a seed you giving us a little seed of wisdom. And then as a listener, as a host of a podcast, having an impact on us, you have no way to measure what that's going to turn into. So Kyle, I appreciate you giving and being so giving to do this. You've given a lot of your time to do both podcasts now. As far as people reaching out, Kyle, they want to connect with you. They want to continue the conversation. Maybe they have some questions around their children in the autism spectrum and uh, maybe there's a chance to work with you. I'm not really sure how that works, but what do, what do we do? Where do we go? I'm going to give you an email. Just send me an email. My, I, it's Kyle at drivenautismdad.com. Here, I'm okay. just going to put it in the notes here. Okay. Kyle at drivenautismdad.com. There we go. Okay. Yeah, give out my email. I mean, if somebody emails and say they, they listen to your podcast and want to chat, I'm, again, uh, so much of my focus was on my wife. And now that she's gone, I have a little more time. You, you would think I wouldn't since I'm raising all, I guess now not six kids because two of them are out of the house. But I am pretty busy, but, you know, my I'm driven to help other people, right? Yeah. And so any way I can help, um, if we do have a conversation, if somebody emails me and says, let's have a conversation, I'm going to record it. There's a good chance I'll post it for other people. Yeah. Why well, hold this stuff, right? So, yeah, exactly. So be ready to be authentic. You know, that's what I do, right? Is, yeah. I, is I'm going to... 
We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. And if let's get it out there in the market so that people can see it and maybe it'll help more people. You're Love not it. the only one that's struggling through what you're struggling through. Love so it. it's a giving yeah. heart. And yep. a giving a giving heart cannot be matched. I appreciate so, that. Thank you, Kyle, for being so giving with us. I really appreciate that. Love it, Dave. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Uh, keep me in mind as you relaunch the book in the future. We kind of talked about it at the beginning of the podcast. I'll Come back. And let's talk and celebrate that as well. We'll celebrate sounds it. Okay? That sounds great, Dave. Hey, thanks for listening to Dad Space today. I'm so thankful that you were here for this episode. If uh, you like the show, please let another dad know. Hey, <laughs> that kind of rhymed. Anyways, uh, share the episode out with somebody in your circle who would love Dad Space. That means so much to us here for our guests who donate their time to be on the show. And we just want to see this grow. So, again, another rhyme. Oh, wow. Anyhow, (laughs) I think I need to write a song or something. Thank you for being here with Dad Space. And again, looking forward to the next episode. Look forward to having you here again with us. And if we can help you in any way, if you have a great guest idea for the show, a topic that we would, you would love us to cover, we would love to do that here on Dad Space. So thanks for listening and thanks for being part of the community. And to you, Dad, thank you for listening and thank you for sharing Dad Space. Catch you on the next one. Take care.